Old Testament reading this morning comes from Exodus, Exodus 20, verses 1, and we'll extend it out to verses 18. And we're picking up, as we're talking about with the children, we're picking up with Exodus um, and the Ten Commandments. And you may recall, or if you don't recall, it's fine too. Um, The Ten Commandments comes to us. God has freed the slaves, um, freed the Israelites from being enslaved. Um, And now they've been out in the wilderness wandering around. And the the Israelites are getting a little bit antsy. Like, this is maybe not that um, great of a deal. Can we sort of go back to the way the life was? Um, and God reminds them that God has freed them, but it also reminds them, you're a new country, you're a new nation, you're a new group of people. So it gives them this list of laws to teach them how to live as a community. I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God. I I am Lord your God. I am a jealous God punishing children for inequity of parents to the third or fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the earth and heaven, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. They were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. July 1st, 1776 was a hot day in Philadelphia. To make matters worse, a storm struck. Thunder, lightning. Rain belted down around the town. Delegates to the Continental Congress were meeting in the State House that day, and a fateful decision was about to be made. John Adams rose to speak. Now, John Adams was not known as a great orator. The historian David McCulloch writes, Adam on that day spoke logically, clearly, 
carefully, looking into the future, he saw a new nation and he saw a new time. Adams addressed the delegates with these words. Objects of the most stupendous magnitude measures in which the lives are the liberties of millions, born and unborn, are most essentially interested, are now before us. We are in the very midst of a revolution, the most complete, unexpected, and remarkable of any in the history of the world. Adams went on for about another hour and then sat down. Once Adams sat down, a nine-hour debate took place, which is followed by the preliminary vote on the matter of declaring independence from Great Britain. Nine colonies in favor, four colonies against. The debate did not end there. A motion was made to adjourn for the night. And the debate continued that night in the, a tavern called City Tavern where many of the delegates were staying. And as, this de as the delegate, delegates grew in debating and, and talking, word began to spread around the tavern that 100 British ships were coming in on the New York Harbor. The meeting, again, started the next morning, July 2nd, 9 a.m., at 10 a.m., storms began to happen again, more thunder, more rain, more lightning. A vote was taken. This time, no colony opposed the motion. The colonies declared their independence. John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, these words, the second day of July 1776 will be the most memorial, memorial epic of the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as a great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated on this day of deliverance by solemn acts of the devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be celebrated with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and illumination from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. The delegates discussed and redefined this document titled The Declaration of Independence for two more days. They argued over every word, writing each word carefully, giving us words like we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that all are endowed by the creator, that certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And after the words were complete, one more vote was taken. 245 years ago today, all were in favor. Adams hoped would be celebrated with shows and games and sports and guns and bellfires and bonfires and illuminations. And that's a pretty good description of what you'll get tonight at the Lillington Ballpark. But Mr. Adams also hoped that it would be commemorated in the solemn acts of devotion to the Almighty God, which is exactly what we're doing this morning. After years of exportation, years of being mistreated by the British, many scholars and Americans declare that the, the Declaration of Independence is the climatic event of this new world. Likewise, scholars, commentators, and churchgoers see that the Ten Commandments 
is a climatic experience of Exodus and perhaps the entire Hebrew Bible coming with its own storms and clouds and fireworks and showmanship. At the top of the mountain, filled with fog as a backdrop, God dictates Ten Commandments to Moses. God gives us the Decalogue. Ten words of importance. Ten laws to this new nation. Ten words to you and to me. Ten laws declaring the freedom of all people, no matter their land, their country, their race, their sexual orientation, their family, or their birthright. And that is the significance of these words. And that's why. The moment in which God speaks these words, nations and peoples will change forever. Israel has come out of Egypt. They are free. But the Israelites were beginning to wonder already. Wouldn't it have been better for us just to stay back where we were? But this is the moment that God says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have met your deepest yearning and have succeeded by giving you the promise of a land to settle in. I have been with you in your darkness, with you in your tears, in your sweat, in your blood. I've listened to you in your despair. I've led you out of these depths, dispersed your enemies. I've guided you by my own hand. I have set you free. I am the Lord your God. Is these words written in the Ten Commandments? Words that are often skipped. Words that are often omitted when they're publicly displayed. The very beginning of the prelude of the Ten Commandments. That not only sets the entire stage for the commandments. But they expand our imagination. Changing the Ten Commandments from just a list of laws. That bound us in a box. To a list of words given to us by our God. Reminding us of our identity. Reminding us that we are children of God and that we are children of a God that keeps coming to us in tragedy and in joy and in normal routines. A God that refuses to give up on us. This begins with God and Adam and Eve when he makes, meets them in the garden. God then meets Adam, um, Abraham and Sarah and he meets Moses and the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. God comes with us in all of our wilderness and through judges and wisdom and prophets. And God comes to us in Jesus Christ. Even though we betray God as seen on a cross, God says to you and to me, I'll keep coming. Seven times 77, I will forgive you over and over and over again. Not because you deserve it or because you've earned it, but because I love you. Therefore, you are free. Free to live an alternative life. Perhaps a question, though, for us. Perhaps a question for the church within the United States. 
who lives in a country whose declaration of freedom was declared nearly 250 years ago. Free to what? What does God need to set us free from? What type of life do we need to live that the United States doesn't give us? Aren't we free already? A.J. Jacobs. It's a very interesting character. He has distinguished himself by taking on unusual disciplines. He once um, systematically read through the encyclopedia. Now, if you're under 30, the encyclopedia is basically like the Wikipedia, <laughs> but bound in books. He did this from A to Z. You may have heard of A.J. Jacobs before. He, he also wrote a book called A Year of Living Biblically. Jacobs was raised in a secular Jewish family, and not having experienced his faith as a child or a youth, he was very interested, and he wondered, what it might be like? What, is, what did he miss growing up and not having this? And what would it be like to be observant of the laws? And to, to answer his own question, Jacob decided to obey for a period of one year all the rules of the Bible, all 700 laws. He set out to follow all the, the well-known laws, the Ten Commandments, to give 10% of your earnings to charity, to, to love your neighbor. And Jacob's also tried to follow the less biblical laws. Uh, he avoided wearing clothing made of mixed fibers. He blew a ram's horn on the occasion of every new moon. And he grew a beard. He, he didn't shave, and he grew a very impressive beard. And taking on his discipline, um, Jacob obeyed laws that formed the bedrock of society. And he also encountered some rules and cultures that, um, regulations that now seem mean-spirited or just, just plain odd. On one occasion, Jacob's wife was not too pleased when she walked in from work, and there was a big hut in the middle of their New York City apartment in order to observe the Feast of Booths. When he refused to take a picture of his mother-in-law to avoid making a graven image, well, Less than pleased was not the words Jacob would describe his wife on that occasion. Looking back, uh, they all sort of laugh about it now, his family, he and his family. But something came more than laughter. And if you read the book, you get more from it than just a bunch of giggles. Along the way, Jacob follows the rules of something starts to happen to him. He begins attending to laws, paying attention to these laws, laws that call for people to take care of people, for the poor, for the stranger, to take care of one's employees and family and friends and orphans and widows, laws that tell us to take care of the earth. And attending to these laws that call for people to believe in one God and one God only as a creator. Something happens. One begins to notice the homeless man on the corner. Your heart begins to ache for the woman who just lost her husband. You begin to look at orphans, refugees, with a little more depth. We begin to see our role for caring for the earth a little more carefully. And we realize 
all of the lowercase gods that fill our lives. We begin to live life alternatively. We begin to live free from how society tells us to live. We begin to live how the Bible defines freedom. The Bible defines freedom not by doing what one pleases. Although the culture that we live in, the market economy that we often serve and becomes our God, would like us to believe differently. Jesus reminds us that if we want to be free, then we have to, to, if we want to find ourselves, then we have to give ourselves away. The late University of Chicago sociologist Jean Bethke Elstein wrote a book titled, Who Are We? And, that our, and she goes on and she talks about our obsession with the individual rights. Our instances of, of rights of the individual to do whatever we please. And she says that we are losing a sense of social covenant. And through that, those in, the obsession with individual rights, we're losing a sense of obligation to the community and to our neighbor. This obsession with individual rights was not the freedom that Adams and Jefferson and Monroe wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. Nor was it the freedom that those that fought in the Revolutionary War fought for or all the other wars since then. This invitation and obsession is, is played out in our daily lives. It's seen clearly in com- commercials and advertisements Elstein suggests that we look at a car commercial that was in the news a couple of years ago. It read, the news, the news um, ad reads, little kids are selfish. They're impulsive. They don't make rational decisions. When they see something they want, they want it now. Little kids have all the fun. Hmm. But Jesus... Jesus preaches to live another way. God comes for us and begs us to live an alternative way, a freedom defined by God's initiative to you and to me, freeing us from all of that bondage. And this is seen in the Ten Commandments. These laws are not meant. They were never written to be just a set of rules. Instead, they give us a new way of living looking at life. These Ten Commandments turn the definition of freedom upside down. Scott Black Johnson, a pastor at Presbyterian Church in New York, suggests the commandments should be read not as a list of do's and don'ts, but instead, what if we read the Decalogue in this way? Because I love you, I have freed you. Therefore, have no other gods before me. You are free. You are free from having to lug around idols. You are free from whispers and hucksters. You are free 
from empty promises of pretenders. You, my beloved, are free. Don't covet. You are free. You are free from worrying about your status or your possessions. You are free from worrying, uh, worrying if you measure up to your neighbors. You are free to live a radically different way. Thou shalt not kill. You are free. You are free, my child, from a culture of violence, from seeing human aggression as a solution, as a remedy, or anything other than a tragic cycle. You are free. Did I bear false witness? You are free. You're free to tell the truth. You're freed from your own healthy ego. You're freed from the narcissism, the deception that reality confirms to your desires. You're free from lying from telling yourself it is okay to to sling falsehoods around when you hurt or sad or just plain mad. You are free. Honor the Sabbath. You're free. You're free from labor that gets you nowhere from churning out never-ending stacks of bricks under the gaze of the overseers. You are free to rest. You're free to think and to sing and to draw and to pray. Give God the glory. Hallelujah. You are free.